tenderfoot scout requirement number seven. Repeat from memory and explain in your own words the scout motto. Be prepared. Instead of getting all hot and clammy and fumbling over my words, instead of averting my eyes, trying not to make eye contact because I was shy, instead of my heart beating out of my chest, having to stand there in front of my scoutmaster, Mr. Olson, and repeat from memory and explain in your own words the scout motto, be prepared, I should have just memorized page 54 of the Boy Scout handbook. The meaning of the scout motto, be prepared. Be prepared for what? Someone once asked Baden-Powell, the founder of scouting. Why? For any old thing, he replied. The training you receive in your troop will help you to live up to the scout motto. When someone has an accident, you are prepared because of your first aid instruction. Because of life-saving practice, you might be able to save a non-swimmer who has fallen into deep water. But Baden-Powell wasn't thinking of just being ready for emergencies. His idea was that all scouts should prepare themselves to become productive citizens. He wanted each scout to be ready in mind and body for any struggles and to meet with a strong heart whatever challenges that might lie ahead. Be prepared for life. To live happily and without regret, knowing that you have done your best. That's what the scout motto means. But somehow, even with all my hot and clamminess, with my fumbling, with my heart beating out of my chest, and even with my bowl cut, <laughs> Mr. Olson actually did sign off on my tenderfoot scout requirements. In fact, I actually made it all the way to Eagle. Wow, right? Yeah. Standing ovation, applause. Amazing, right? Oh, you're so incredible, Jeremy. You are amazing. <laughs> well, guess what? Every single Tuesday night when we had our troop meetings, I would hide in the car, in the garage, with the door closed, fully dressed in my Boy Scout uniform, waiting for my mom. Five minutes, 10 minutes early. I was prepared. I was there in the car, ready to go, because I didn't want anybody to know that I was in Boy Scouts. I figured that my social life would be over and doomed should anyone know the most embarrassing fact about me, that I was in Boy Scouts. But hey, at least I was prepared. I was there, ready five minutes early, 10 minutes early. I was prepared. But yeah, where was that preparedness that time you went to Texas? It was in July, middle of summer, during a heat wave, where it cools down, cools down to 105 at night. <laughs> and you managed to forget to pack undergarments. All you had was what you were wearing. And I'll tell you what, those sky blue boxers, they did not look so sky blue by the end of that week. I wore them inside 
outside, inside, outside, skip a day, inside, outside, resourceful, but not, not quite be prepared. Or how about that time, probably in junior high, you first played worship at church? Yes. Yeah. I love worship. Yeah, me too. Uh, I loved it so much that I showed up to church, and I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I didn't know the songs. I didn't know how to read music. Still don't. Uh, I didn't know the band or how to play in a band. I didn't even know how to play bass guitar. Ambitious, but not quite be prepared. Or how about that time you went surfing? Day of your wedding, without a watch. Figured, hey, you're an Eagle Scout, just judged by the position of the sun in the sky. It's cloudy. The surf's good. And you know, weddings typically start like four to five hours late anyways. Well, it didn't really happen like that. It was like maybe like 30 minutes. But if it did, it would not be be prepared. You know, the Bible talks a lot about being prepared. For what? Well, we're going to explore that today. But this being ready this being prepared, I think it goes beyond like trying to save a non-swimmer who has fallen into deep water or remembering to pack underwear for a Texas heat wave. It goes beyond. This being prepared is, is like a, a position or a posture, a lifestyle. And it helps us to face any of the fears that we've been exploring over the course of this Facing Fear sermon series. Fear and hypocrisy, fear and God, fear and confession, fear and money, fear and worry, fear and possessions. And today we continue with fear and readiness. As we do so, let's pause for a moment and just redirect our attention to, to who it is we're here to worship that all that we do is for the applause of nail-scarred hands, that we cannot lift up ourselves and Jesus at the same time. So let's pray to him and ask for his guidance and his wisdom, his understanding. So Lord Jesus, we invite you in to this place. Holy Spirit, fill this place. It's already filled, but God, we ask that your words through your scriptures that have been used throughout the generations, that they would speak to us today in 2023. Though there's so much that could be going on right now in our minds, so many stresses and worries and plans and, and joys and excitements for things that, that may happen, the things to come, the fears, the doubts, all of that, Lord, we just want to hear from you today. So give us clarity of thought and mind. And would your, your voice be the voice that is heard? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is teaching the crowds. Thousands upon thousands are gathered, and he tells stories of yeast and doors, light and dark, sparrows and copper coins. People from the crowd begin to ask questions, and Jesus responds, telling more stories about barns and greed. But then, in verse 22, in the 12th chapter of Luke's account of Jesus' life, it says that Jesus turns to his disciples, like talking just 
to them. And as I read through chapter 12, I don't see anything in the text to tell us otherwise, like anything else has changed. So I guess we can just assume that Jesus is still talking to his close followers in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, as he says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. They offer free local phone calls with no long-distance charges, free morning coffee, 24-hour-a-day faxing service, free HBO and ESPN, phones with data ports, and remote-controlled TV sets. (laughs) Most properties have swimming pools, guest laundry facilities, electronic door locks. With more than 800 locations in the U.S. and Canada, the first opened its doors in Santa Barbara, California for $6 a night. With the lowest price of any national lodging chain, they still leave the light on for you. Motel 6. Well, they don't actually leave the light on for you but they do have carpet that is as soft as 60-grit sandpaper and stained like a Jiffy Lube garage. They don't actually leave the light on for you, but there is mold growing in between the cracks in the shower, rust around the faucet, fissures in the sink, beds they must double as chain-link fences during the day. Sure, someone slept on the same bed eight hours before, but you're paying way more at the Four Seasons to do exactly the same. The only difference is here the floral bedspread, it smells like a corpse. And it's layered with skin cells and cigarette burns. But it's actually way more upscale, way more upscale than a lot of the places I've stayed at. And rather affordable too. There's a fuzzy TV on the dresser, a chew toy of a headboard, a lamp with a dusty pleated shade. But as you walk in, they didn't leave the light on for you. But I mean, come on, Motel 6, this is your slogan. (laughs) This is everything your company is about. You mean you don't actually leave the light on. Jesus says, be dressed for service. Servants in Jesus' day would tuck the ends of their robes into their belts to get ready for hard work. And so it's basically like if we were to say that today, lace up your sneakers, roll up your sleeves. But then he says, and keep your lamps burning. So be like Motel 6, but actually do it. Leave the light on. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. So be ready, be prepared, leave the lights on. Jesus describes the situation like this. The master of the house, your master, let's say, is at a wedding. We don't know. It could be his own wedding. could be that your master has traveled to his bride's home to be married, which would be the custom. And it was customary that the wedding festivities would last for days, even up to a week. And all the while, you servants are at home awaiting your master's return so that then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. 
But he, he shouldn't really have to knock, though, should he? No, because you're awake, you're alert, you're prepared and dressed for service, leaving the light on. You see him coming down the road, and everything is ready and prepared for his arrival. There's no mold growing between the cracks in the shower, no rust around the faucet, no bedspread smelling like a corpse. Everything is freshly laundered. Everything is spick and span. Everything is ready for your master's return. And the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he, the master himself, will seat them. What? Put on an apron, huh? And serve them as they sit and eat. But that's, that's totally backward. The master becomes the servant. That is unthinkable in the first century, let alone in any century. Masters master and servants serve. It's what they do. They're servants. But the Greek word here is actually doulos, which could mean servant or slave. But let's just be real. It, it means slave. Servant just sounds a whole lot nicer. And in this culture, most people became slaves either because they were on the losing side of a war with the Romans or because their mothers were slaves. It's estimated that slaves made up as much as 60% of the workforce in certain parts of the Roman Empire during the first century. Slaves made up one-third of the population. But this, the master's unexpected generosity toward his slaves is a dramatic reversal of expectations and roles. It says, he will seat them. He will put on an apron that is be dressed for service. And he will serve them as they sit and eat. Total reversal of expectation and roles. This is not the custom. This is not what you do. And I know we're all saying like, well, I would do that. No. No, 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 no. No, this master is something special. Maybe we, we would hope to do that, but this master is actually doing that. This master serves his slaves. It is unthinkable, but it shows us that whatever Jesus asks us to do, he himself is also willing to do. Huh. To become a slave. The master serves his slaves. It is unthinkable. But actually, it shouldn't really surprise us because this is what Jesus does. Jesus is always turning everything on its head. I mean, he speaks about how you're blessed when you've lost it all. What? You're blessed when you've lost it all, for God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less, for that is the moment you realize that you are proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. You're blessed when you realize that the first who are always first are actually last, and the last who are always last are actually first. For it is better to give than receive and not to store up treasures here in Southern California where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. For God opposes the proud 
but gives grace to the humble. And Jesus says this, love your friends. He also says love your enemies. Allow your enemies to bring out the best in you, not just the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with a radical move of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat, Patagonia, Gucci, I don't know, make a present of it. No more paying back evil for evil. Live generously. Help and give without expecting a return. Give away your life and you'll find it given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. It all seems upside down. A reversal of every assumption and expectation, but that's Jesus for you. And maybe it's just we who've got everything upside down and backward. That's not how the world works. Well, maybe the world's working wrong, (laughs) backward and upside down. Maybe everything we seem to assume about power and wealth and importance, maybe everything we're fed from a worldly standpoint is actually upside down and backward. But the point is this. Blessing, generosity, reward. That's what awaits slaves, servants who are ready. Ready and living. Not as the world would have us live, but in this countercultural, seemingly upside down sort of way where Jesus and his kingdom, and his kingdom simply means God's reign and rule, the way that God does things. God's purposes in this world and everything that God is about, where Jesus and the kingdom are all way more important than everything in every way. It may not be easy, and sometimes it's not fun, but blessing, generosity, reward, that's what awaits those who are ready and prepared. Prepared for what? Not just for any old thing, but for Jesus coming back. His second coming. For Jesus is coming back. He lived briefly, died violently, rose unexpectedly, and resumed speaking to those who betrayed him. Okay, now where was I before I was so rudely interrupted by death and the grave and all of that? Well, after his death and resurrection, he ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1. But guess what? He says he's coming back. He's coming back to right all the wrongs, to take an upside-down world and turn it right. Ultimate restoration and healing, salvation, goodness, blessing, judgment, peace, renewal, rescue. This is what the Master will bring and more. When? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a clock on that. It may take some time. We don't know when. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. So stay awake. Don't be lulled to sleep by the ways of the world. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Okay, let me like recap this. Okay, so Jesus is talking about some party that some master is coming home from. But it's like a figurative story, which I guess... Is about Jesus coming back, and if you're ready, you're rewarded, and he seats you, and he ties on an apron, and he serves you, 
while you sit and eat. Unthinkable. Username Miss Too Cute leaves a review of Motel 6, Dallas Northeast. First thing I experienced here was a guy telling the apathetic and annoyed desk clerk that his radio was stolen the previous night in the parking lot. Should have known then to leave, but I stayed anyway. As I walked back to my car, I noticed one of the cars in the lot was up on blocks with its wheels missing. Later in the room, I had to throw the pillows off the bed because they were covered with dirt and hair. The phone cord was ripped out of the wall. The bathroom light was scribbled in with a marker. The heater would not power off, a bit toasty in Texas. The lock on the door was busted and there was a fist-sized hole in the drywall. Later, my husband looked out the window, which wouldn't close or lock, only to see a car go by with a gun pointed out the window. People constantly coming and going, wads of cash exchanged by the ice machine for something in small baggies, the sound of yelling and beer bottles shattering. I was up all night worried that my car would get broken into or that someone might start shooting. Do not stay here. Two stars out of five. <laughs> they have 24-hour faxing and coffee. <laughs> Understand this. If a homeowner or a motel guest knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he or she would not permit his or her house or motel room to be broken into. Because you're ready, you're prepared, you're alert, you're awake, leaving the lights on. Jesus says, you also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man, referring to himself, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So don't be caught unaware. Don't let your car be put up on blocks. Don't let your room be ransacked. Don't be lazy or careless. Be prepared, awake, alert, dressed for service, leaving the light on. Where Jesus, the master, in verses 35 through 38, returning from a party, seems like forever in coming. Like, man, how long is this going to take? Here in verses 39 through 40, Jesus, the burglar, comes sudden and unexpected. The point is this, whether Jesus is coming back, whether it seems forever or whether it's sudden, be prepared. There was a, a man who was ready and was prepared at all costs to put this new radical movement to death. They called themselves followers of the way, disciples of Jesus. They awaited his second coming. And this man, he was ready and prepared at all costs to smash it. Literally, with stones and rocks. As his comrades dressed themselves for service, the service of murder, Saul was right there in the thick of it. 
congratulating the killers, their cloaks laid out at his feet. After the execution of Stephen, who was murdered for his faith in Jesus, Saul went wild, devastating the church, dragging men and women from house after house after house, those who had put their trust and confessed that they were followers of Jesus. He was out for the kill. He was ready and prepared like a, like a Boy Scout to do what he felt was his duty to God and his country. Saul even went to the chief priests and got arrest warrants for those who were way up in Damascus. And his plan was to go up there and arrest those people, bring them back to Jerusalem, try them, and hopefully execute them. But something happened on that road to Damascus, something that he hadn't prepared for, the risen Jesus. In a blinding light, Saul, Saul, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And in a moment, everything shifted and changed. Saul soon became exclusively Paul. Persecutor of the church becomes foremost preacher. And no one was prepared for this. But as is the case, Jesus is always turning everything on its head. And it's this man who writes to the house churches in Rome about being prepared. In Romans chapter 13, he writes, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like sky blue, inside, outside, inside, outside. Better skip a day, inside, outside, dirty clothes. And put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. It's this whole posture, position, lifestyle, where we don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or sleeping around or porn and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, we live for Jesus. Ready, prepared. Even if it's countercultural and seemingly upside down, Jesus and his kingdom are all way more important than everything in every way. And we are, with everything, all that we are, leaving the light on. Amen. On Monday, I will pack, I should probably do it sooner, but on Monday, I will pack a small backpack. And I will make sure this time that I'm prepared with a proper amount of clothes. A toothbrush, maybe some toothpaste, a book, my Bible, and my passport. Because on Tuesday, I'm flying to, to Turkey. And now it's just a, a stopover, a connecting flight in Istanbul, but some 600 miles to the southeast. they'll still be pulling bodies out of the rubble. And uh, the BBC reports that the Turkish president said it was impossible, impossible to prepare. His words, impossible to prepare for this scale of a disaster. Two catastrophic earthquakes 
And yet, critics claim the emergency response was too slow, that the Turkish government was poorly prepared. We waited till late in the evening, but nobody came, said Ms. Arzu Dedioglu, a resident of Iskenderun. We brought in a caterpillar, a digger or an excavator, with our own means, but they, the officials, did not want us to use it. They stopped us. We have two kids under the rubble, my sister's daughters. They are gone now. They are gone. When emergency services eventually arrived, they were too late. Anger is also mounting over an earthquake tax levied by the Turkish government in the wake of a massive quake in 1999 that killed more than 17,000 people. The estimated 88 billion lira, 4.6 billion U.S. dollars, was meant to be spent on disaster prevention and development of emergency services, readiness, and preparation. But apparently, the government has never publicly explained how the money is spent. Critics say the government has not prepared for an earthquake in 20 years. And now it's easy to be a critic and to point blame. But it's another, I think, to work toward a solution and to find a way. And I can't help but think that you and I have all the resources at our disposal to be prepared. Not just to be prepared in an earthquake-prone location and to help those in need right now, but we have all the resources at our disposal to be prepared for what also matters eternally. For what matters more than everything in every way. And when I trust that Jesus is coming back, and when I readily live for it, it changes everything. Okay, you may say, well, well then how, how, do, how do I do that? How do I, I live ready and prepared for Jesus coming back? It's simple, really. It's what Paul says lasts forever. Faith, hope, love. I ready myself in faith, learning, growing, trusting, believing, becoming more like Jesus in every way. I ready myself in hope, confidently expecting, even in the face of uncertainty, that God will do just what he said he would do. I ready myself in love, serving, honoring, giving, committing, forgiving, encouraging, going out of my way to help. For C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis writes, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. Let's pray. So Jesus, we await your coming. Our thoughts and minds drift from our current circumstances to focus on you and what you have to do in this world and what you have to do beyond.
Help us to walk in faith and hope and love. Help us to ready ourselves to live for you wholeheartedly with all that we are, with everything, with every ounce of our energy and strength and wisdom and insight and creativity and joy. We give to you our failures, our insecurities, our fears, our doubts. And we ask, Lord, that you would have your way. As we continue in this time of worship, God, as we have got our prayer team in the front and the back, I pray that, that we would let those fears drop. That maybe we would admit, man, I am not ready, God. I'm not prepared. And it's not about knowing a bunch of Bible verses or memorizing different parts of history or whatever it is, but it's, it's about a relationship with you, Jesus. And that's, I think, what it means to be prepared over and above everything. And if someone today wants to experience that, that they would pray, Jesus, would you come into my life? I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That Jesus, you lived briefly, that you, you, you died violently and you rose unexpectedly defeating death. So come into my life. I wanna live for you. I wanna be prepared and ready for whatever whatever comes. Jesus, I pray for those who are walking with you just for a very short time, just this moment, or, or those who have been walking with you for a long time, to fully, Lord, that we would fully put our trust and hope in you. Our faith, our hope, and love is all in you. That we wouldn't walk in fear, but that we would walk in the faith and the hope and the love that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.